This is Mission.org. So we're in an era of disruption again, and out of that is being birthed this new economy that impacts consumer marketing and B2B marketing, whether you are in consumer packaged goods, automotive, if you're a quick service restaurant, I would argue that's changed a lot. Even if you're healthcare or any of these other categories that we can think of, it's almost touched every category. There has been huge disruption and change, which I'm labeling as the new economy. The new economy is here and the marketing playbooks we've all relied on for decades are on their way out the door. It's time for a new playbook, one that takes the last several years of constant disruptions into account. That's why today I'm speaking with Michael Hayes, Chief Growth Officer and Client Officer for the Goodway Group, a veteran in the field of experience with brands like Lexus, Verizon, Disney, Amazon, and more, Michael shares his take on why we are seeing this new economy. He tells us what key disruptions and challenges are facing marketers today and what he envisions for the marketing playbook for the future. It's all right here on Marketing Trends. I'm your host, Jeremy Bergeron. Let's get into it. Before we get into some of the other questions and things, I just want to ask you, like, what are you most excited to talk about? The exciting topics really for me is the, what I call kind of the new economy, number one. Through that new economy, there's three big areas of disruption that I see that's impacting the marketing landscape and that marketers need to grapple with. I think those are interesting. And then, of course, what to do about it. What are marketers struggling with? you know, to try to give the audience today some areas to think about as they kind of process that. That perspective of mine has been built over maybe the last three years. Certainly have a longer history of that perspective, but the last three years of talking to large top 100, you know, at age 100 marketers across automotive, healthcare, consumer packaged goods, entertainment, travel, so on and so forth. And most of that was some of my work I did during the pandemic as they struggled through the pandemic, figuring out how were they going to come back into the market with their hopes as the end of the pandemic. And of course, it hasn't quite ended, I guess, but, but certainly as they, there was no playbook for them. So they were really struggling with that. And we can talk about that later, but that, I think all those things are super interesting and super topical as we think about what marketers kind of struggle with today. Let's talk about this new economy. I'd love to dive into that. And I think you've got some incredible insight there. And you talked about these three big areas of disruptions. And you know, tell us what these are. What can marketing leaders, what can leaders do about this? And can you set the stage of this new economy for us? Yeah, the new economy, to be fair, is kind of an old word. Not that old, but was kind of birthed, I think, at, you know, if we call it Internet 1.0. But the new economy is characterized and centered in, I would say, three things now. One is just innovation. Number two, it's rooted in data and technology. And number three, it's iterative and very agile. Those three things tend to be the characteristics. 
And we are in this next wave. If you think about you know, what the pandemic has done for consumers and the public, my view is we're in this next wave of disruption and innovation. Consumer shopping has changed dramatically in this short window of, we'll call it two to three years. There's a more level playing field between small companies and very large global companies. I would say recently we've seen in the last 12 months, and very recently, if you read you know, the Wall Street Journal and The Economist and uh, you watch a lot of that kind of stuff, you will see that a lot of them are predicting the collapse of global markets for a handful of reasons. So we're in an era of disruption again, and out of that is being birthed this new economy that impacts consumer marketing and B2B marketing, whether you are in consumer packaged goods, automotive, if you're a you know, quick service restaurant, I would argue that's changed a lot. Even if you're healthcare, the rise of telemed, who would have thought that mass, you know, there was early adoption of telemed and telehealth, but now no one thinks any issue of getting on a Zoom call or some sort of video conference call, you know, with their doctor. That is very normal now and would have not have been normal three or four years ago. That would have been rare and it would have taken a long arc to get consumer behavior to change. And what happened, literally that arc sped through in a matter of 12 months, if not faster. I would argue whether it's healthcare or any of these other categories that we can think of, it's almost touched every category. There's been huge disruption and change, which I'm labeling as the new economy. And through that, marketers have dealt with your second part of your question, which is, what are these disruptions? I think there's three of them. One is this thing that marketers and advertisers have been kind of uh, struggling with and has been kind of prolonged, but this deprecation of third-party cookies, which impacts a bunch of things besides just targeting. Number two, there's been a huge decline in TV ratings. And it used to be, Jeremy, that television, and I'm talking not that long ago, we're talking five years ago, seven years, eight years ago, there was a lot of brands that still 80 to 90% of their advertising budget was centered in linear TV. There was a lot of categories for that. And so television was still very, very healthy. But again, through this new economy and the pandemic and the acceleration of that, if you look at television ratings, they've fallen off a cliff. If you look at the Nielsen ratings, number one. And number two, I would argue that even if you look at live sports, they always thought the linear TV folks at ESPN and Fox Sports and whatever always thought, well, we'll always have live sports and you have to tune in for live sports for the NBA finals or for the NFL or college football or whatever. And even live sports took a big hit. So that is a huge disruption, especially if you're a large brand advertiser. And then the third, I would say, is this evolution of commerce. And what I mean by that is shopping. So we're seeing the birth of still the early stages, but going, but very healthy, by the way, of social shopping. We've seen the birth of retail media networks. Those have actually been around for a while, but they never got the attention they did now. I can kind of touch on that later, but uh, there's a huge kind of emergence of how consumers are shopping and interacting in the shopping experience, whether again, whether you look at like a retailer, like a Walmart or a Target or a Dollar General or a Kroger or something like that, but it also impacts the shopping experience for something like automotive. 
I can pick multiple categories and give examples of how that disruption is creating havoc inside the walls of advertising agencies and inside the walls of consumer marketers. Salesforce puts out this once a year state of marketing report that they put out and they gather a lot of interesting insights from a lot of marketing leaders. And there's a question on here that I want to ask you, um, and it's in alignment with what you're sharing. And it's it says that it's like 70, it's 72% of marketers say that meeting customer expectations is more difficult than it was a year and change ago. How has this kind of played out for you? What, what are you and the team doing to tackle this consistent challenge of rising customer expectations? Let's just take automotive. So uh, I have a pretty healthy automotive background. And at the Goodway Group, we work with General Motors. We work with Subaru and others. I have a background working with Hyundai, Kia, Lexus, Audi, BMW, you know, so on and so forth. So if you look at the automotive shopping experience and how it's changed, it kind of went through three phases. And we'll get to the last phase quick. But the first phase was really basically the formula was TV, print, meaning newspaper, print, and some radio and maybe a little bit of outdoor. That was the formula. And they knew if they ran so much TV, so much weight, they would get people into the dealership and they would buy. And by the way, the dealership, the big story here for consumers, meaning the consumer and the marketer, was that the dealer was the expert. In other words, you went to the dealer and you asked the salesperson about safety and gas and whatever else you were concerned about, uh, about the car, and they would show you around and you take a test drive. You go to the next phase with the birth of the internet and a little bit after, you have the rise, television still king, newspapers start taking a hit, and by the way, the consumer is more in control. The consumer now can go to kellybluebook.com, edmunds.com, cars.com, all these endemic automotive shopping sites and understand everything about the car before they even walk into the dealership. That wasn't the case before. So now the dealership takes a little bit less of a role. And by the way, if you fast forward just a little bit, not far, you step on the gas a little bit, consumers can now know what the cost of the car is to the dealer. So you have a much better sense of negotiation your price. By the way, consumers hate the automotive shopping experience. They, every study, right. they, they, they hate it. Yep. So you fast forward to today with my comments earlier about the reduction of an impact of, of linear TV. So now you have a situation where there's huge disruption and the formula that it used to work where you ran so much weight doesn't work anymore. That formula that was used, by the way, that was born out of consumer packaged goods, that was transferred in kind of hijacked, not hijacked, but borrowed by the automotive marketer and what they called the Allison Fisher funnel, which is everyone uses a funnel. I would argue that is completely needs to be retired. It's null and void. It doesn't really happen that way. As a matter of fact, when you go through the funnel in automotive, J.D. Power and other automotive research companies will tell you literally a week or days before the purchase, the volume of models and brands shopped actually increases. So there's like this bubble at the end of the funnel. I thought the funnel was this process that was linear and got smaller over time. That's actually not the case. There's a variety of reasons for that. But ultimately, I think the big difference here is the advertiser and the dealer are less in control of the shopping experience. It is shifted to the consumer. 
The consumer is armed with all this information. And if you talk to dealers, they will tell you after they close and turn off, you know, the lights are still on the dealer. You'll have consumers shopping cars because they don't want to talk to the dealer. And by the way, when I bought my brand new Audi, I did the, and I'm not kidding. I did the entire transaction through text messaging with the dealer. <laughs> and I just kept telling him. And by the deal, by the way, the dealer was right across the street from me. He was actually one of my clients. So to be fair, I was doing right. The Audi dealer was across. I'm like, I'm not going to pay more than this. And by the way, and they're laughing at me. They're texting me back and forth. Well, you're going to come over. I'm like, no, I'm not going to come over. Why come over? Either you're going to give it to me for this price or not. <laughs> so, uh, and I said, I have all the information right on my computer screen. I don't need to come over. I was more in control in that situation. So this is an example of huge disruption. Well, if you're a marketer, if you're Audi, if you're Honda, if you're Toyota or Lexus or somebody, this is a huge disruption to the, how you used to do business. And that playbook we, we you know, referred to a little bit doesn't exist. It's something that needs to be invented. I find that exciting, by the way. Mm -hmm. But by the way, clients really struggle with it because you got to sell cars at the end of the day. Your, your job is to move that metal. And your job as an automotive marketer inside the walls of Honda or Toyota or Lexus is to get consumers onto the dealer's lot. And the dealer's job is to close that sale. And so whether you're a, a brand marketer at the manufacturer or you're a dealer, both sides struggle with this problem. Super interesting stuff. Lots to discuss there. And we can go down that rabbit hole a little bit. But yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. And, you know, and, and on the note of the marketing playbook of the future, in a webinar that you did back in February, I believe you discussed this, the marketing playbook of the future. Yeah. And I want to I want to dive into that concept a bit more in detail on this show. And you shared that while there certainly was a playbook for marketing, today there are like no clearly defined best practices. Can you share with our audience a bit more about this and maybe touch on those five key challenges you identified that are facing marketers today? Yeah, well, I touched on a lot of this, but to summarize some key things, I think the, uh, you're right, the consumer journey is way more complex. The playbook is broken, huge disruption, and just the ubiquity of devices and the fragmentation of media has kind of done a number on the playbook. Like we talked about earlier, if you just think about the disruption in television alone, advertisers struggle with simple things that used to be kind of a formula that they had, meaning where should I place my bets? If I'm an advertiser, I'm starting to ask my media agency, where do I place my bets given the environment we're in? What is my media mix strategy? That was not something that was really debated that much. If you were, you know, in 1998, 2000, 2010, that was pretty much set. By the way, just because you added a few websites to your marketing plan, kind of your media plan, television was still king. And by the way, print still, still you know, played a role. Advertisers will ask you now a lot about the media mix. They'll ask about how the shopping ex experiences change and how to control the shopping experience a little better. And so that allocation of media and where to place my bets. And then the next piece after that, there's this discussion of how to measure everything. Right. Which is, which is a whole nother can of worms because the way you used to measure TV and the way you used to measure internet or digital activity is going through its own disruption. So that's changed. So there's five things that I typically talk about that I think after done all this research, this really does make up the playbook for the future, I think. Number one, we touched on quickly, the consumer journey has changed. It's less linear, more complicated. 
consumer pass, number one. Number two is this consumer shopping experience disruption. My example was with automotive, but I honestly could use healthcare, consumer packaged goods, retail, et cetera. Number three, brand building is elusive. You need demand creation, and it's hard to get reach and scale, and audiences are less engaged. Even if you want to do brand building, you're like, you've bought into this. It was much easier 10 or 15 years ago to do that. It used to be, again, you would do a television linear TV upfront. You had tons of scale in there. Audiences are fragmented. Certainly, YouTube aggregates a big audience and what have you, but brand building is elusive for most marketers. Number four is this media channel mix allocation needs to be figured out as part of the playbook. And number five, we touched on, which is there's formidable ad measurement kind of issues. Understanding your return on investment attribution is way more difficult today, especially with the sunsetting of cookies that will come, I think, next year in 2023 by Google will be finally kind of finished. And that will probably be the end. I don't, I can't imagine that extending that again. And so what ends up happening is there's, given today's measurement environment, there's no single source of truth, which means marketers are left, not that it was perfect before, but marketers are left with a measurement kind of conundrum of figuring out what's working, what's not working, and where to place your bets. Because of that, it's just difficult it's harder to get engagement and it's harder to get not only awareness, consideration, brand preference, and eventually conversion, which would which I would argue is typically a sale. Mm. So those are the five things, all of them very meaty discussion areas. Sure. But you've got to grapple with those five things. Yeah. I mean, on the on the note of kind of metrics and KPIs, it seems like a lot of companies have kind of started to reprioritize metrics and because things are changing quite a bit. Are there some traditional metrics that you think are no longer relevant or not as relevant? And what kind of emerging metrics are you finding to be more highly relevant today? Uh, I don't know that the metrics have changed, meaning brand awareness, consideration. Are you on the consideration set, brand preference? And then, of course, the more ROI-driven metrics, meaning return on ad spend, conversion, you know, sales, uh, incremental lift, those have been around. By the way, incremental lift has been around for more than 30 years. I mean, way back in traditional media, they were doing incremental lift. I don't think the metrics have changed so much. What we will see the rise of, and you've already seen it, is the rise of media mix modeling. Again, econometric modeling or media mix modeling has been around for a long time, going back to the heyday of traditional media. What's changed is the importance of media mix modeling. And what's happening, I think, in the industry is we're doing light versions of media mix modeling rather than the heavy lifting. And the reason that is, is because, well, first two reasons. Most marketers, not all, a company like General Motors or Procter & Gamble or Unilever can afford media mix modeling. But if you're in the middle, if you're Ashley Furniture, or if you're, you know, uh, if you sell mattresses, or maybe your choice hotels or Best Western hotels or JetBlue, much harder to afford media mix modeling on a monthly, monthly basis. So most of those travel brands do it like once every two or three years. Well, now you got to do it 
every year in monthly, which means you need a lighter version of it that's faster, by the way, because in retail, which travel does operate a lot like retail or retail shopping, that experience to feed the outputs of media mix modeling and attribution where you're getting the best bang for your buck back into the media plan to inform it needs to be at a much faster clip, which means there's these lighter, faster versions of media mix modeling that we're seeing in the industry today. I think that's a big change. I think it's a good change. I'm not sure it's the metrics so much, but I think it's the, the methods of how to understand what's working is changing. And you're seeing a lot of little startups that are doing a good job of, of trying to figure this out. On the, on the note of kind of data and privacy, you know, as, as, as you mentioned, privacy laws and consumer expectations around data collection are changing. What advice do you have for brands struggling to find ways to learn about their audiences? Look, if you're, um, you know, Verizon Wireless, you probably have a treasure trove of first party data. Or we talked about Disney. I mean, Disney and their theme park division has a treasure trove of data. One of our advertisers is Kodiak Cakes, which sells protein pancakes, basically, at grocery. They're great, by the way. I, I love that <laughs> they, brand. They are good. Yeah. So you can <laughs> buy the big box at Costco. So Costco sells it, Walmart sells it, Target sells it. There's not a lot of first-party data there. When I think of privacy and things like that, most people lean into, you know, when you think of cookie deprecation, privacy, consumers not engaging as much, et cetera, all those issues, most marketers tend to move into this world of, well, we can leverage our first-party data. If you're lucky enough to have that, that's great. If you're not, you need to have another strategy of how you're going to advertise and reach consumers. There's a variety of things you can do there, but you, you really are going to continue to leverage third-party or you want to call them second-party data suppliers, which means your advertising partners, meaning publishers and things like that, are going to be critically important in your advertising strategy if you don't have a large first-party data set. Is uh, this, this recent this announcement about the Passport One, is that connected to this? That's nice of you to bring that up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Passport One is Goodway's curated database to identify audiences. It's a people-based identity solution that aggregates huge consumer databases together at a much less expensive cost for the marketer so that an advertiser like Kodiak Cakes can leverage that to not only do audience builds, but to do measurement. Mm. If you're an agency, your agency has a choice uh, or, or an agency typically has a choice or even a holding company has a choice to either build or rent. We're an independent, virtual, meaning remote first and have been for more than 10 years, professional services firm. We're independent. We're big. We're 450 people now, I think. We're big, but we're not a holding company. And so some holding companies, as you know, I'm thinking my former employer, IPG, went out and bought Axiom. And so they decided to buy the assets and other holding companies and agencies will decide to rent. We kind of did, I don't think we, we didn't buy things, but we did build technology to access and rent third-party data suppliers. We didn't go buy a third-party data supplier. So we bolted those together and it's part of our identity solution as well as, but it's also our data solution that powers a lot of our data-driven kind of advertising and marketing efforts. That's awesome. That's, that's new. That's pretty new. Yeah, we just launched in the last couple of weeks. Okay. But it's been in development, obviously, for a while. We work with a lot of 
you know, mid-market advertisers, some large ones, by the way. Sure. You know, Dollar General is a client on the retail media network side. We power that for them. Dollar General is huge. They have 18,000 stores, you know, retail stores, which is, yeah, yeah which massive. is massive, which is bigger than Starbucks and McDonald's in terms of retail footprint. Mm -hmm. So it's big. Wow. Yeah, it's that big. Is, that's, yeah, that's interesting. You mentioned a couple of times, you know, one of the challenges facing markets is brand building. Why are some brands struggling here and what mistakes are you kind of seeing them make and or what are some examples of success here? Yeah, the mistakes they're making or have made, I'm just going to pick some brands, but Airbnb is more relevant to today's consumer than a Radisson Inn, you know, kind of a thing. I would argue that a Tesla is way more relevant than Nissan. By the way, Lexus has done a good job. So, I mean, I mean, Lexus isn't a Nissan, but if I'm sticking with that kind of Asian import automotive, Hyundai and Kia have done a very good job of brand building over the last, we'll call it, 15 years in comparison to where they were and getting on the consideration set. And Nissan was a major Asian import that would have competed with them and, you know, they've fallen behind. Well, why is that? Well... The reason is, in my view, a lot of cases is a lot of marketers, whether it was in travel or whether it was in automotive or other categories, they kind of bit on this kind of gold rush, if you want to call it, of performance advertising. And it's not that that was bad, but it, what it did was you worked for Google. The truth is, is if all the television ads were turned off for like three years, the volume of search queries for automotive would literally naturally decline. The truth is Google is not a demand, you know, Google paid search is not really a demand creation tool for most advertisers. It is in some instances, but it's primarily demand fulfillment. People are looking for things that they've known about. They have that awareness. I would say that those brands, including the ones I mentioned, neglected their brand in favor of huge paid search, huge direct response, performance type marketing stuff. And you can't do that unless you fill the top of the funnel, if you want to call it that again. you got to create demand and you have to have brand preference. So this was something when I worked on the Hyundai Kia business that was really focused on how do we get onto the consideration set? That's an awareness issue that is not a direct response issue. How does Hyundai or Kia get on the consideration set when consumers think about buying a car. That is a huge marketing challenge that I think Hyundai has done an excellent job, as Kia has. And by the way, their sales prove that out. So the successes I've seen, I'll say, is Hyundai Kia. They've done a good job of that. Some of the failures, though, is where people just double down too much on performance marketing and neglected the other side. And so my advice to advertisers is you're going to have to wean yourself off especially with cookie deprecation, the truth is your cost per conversion is going to take a hit. Not because it necessarily changed, but the way you get to that, meaning the method to measure it, is going to make it appear like your cost per sale or return on ad spend or something most likely will take a hit. And it's not because the advertising necessarily is less effective. It's that you're not measuring it the same way you were two years ago or five years ago with DoubleClick or you know whoever you were using. No, that was great. So um, let's do the lightning round, some fun questions. For those of you who are still with us and listening, thank you. 
This podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. If you want to learn about the world's number one CRM and how marketing and engagement play together nicely, head over to salesforce.com forward slash marketing. First question in the lightning round, Michael, what are you personally betting on for the future? Hmm. I'm betting on from a marketing perspective, I'm betting on healthy brand building. Love it. If you have to build a marketing team from scratch today, what role are you hiring first and why? A data scientist, because we are in a data-driven world regardless of the advertiser. And I need that power and intellect to power all of my media and marketing activities. I love that answer. That's great. Wendy's and Chipotle join a growing number of companies and brands exploring the potential of virtual worlds. What do you make of this? I would say test and learn, dip your toe in, experiment and learn. I will say this though, what I think Chipotle should double down on is their huge growth in pre-order sales as part of the new economy. Taco Bell and Chipotle are both in my backyard where I live. And I think it's north of 50% of their orders are pre-orders now. So I would be doubling down at least in the next year or two years on that type of shopping behavior and pre-orders and improving the guest experience or the customer experience to further that kind of activity. Because I think they, you know, they've done a good job. And if I was Taco Bell, I would look to do the same thing. Mm, I like that. We actually interviewed a Chipotle executive on another show that we have in our network a couple weeks ago. Fascinating what they're up to in their, in their space. What impresses you? I would say what impresses me are executives that are servant-based leaders. Hmm. I like that answer. If you had access to a time machine, Michael, where would you where and when would you go? I love the 1940s in America, you know, the war years. Certainly I wouldn't want to be in a war, but <laughs> But I love that era in American history. I think it's partially due because my parents who are now past grew up in the Depression and through World War II in the, you know, in the, uh, the jazz era. That's when jazz music, I, I love jazz music. So I love that era partially for the music and partially probably I have an affinity towards it just because my father and mother grew up in that era. Uh, how would you answer this question? What is success for you? It's definitely not money. I think for me, success, that's changed over time too, by the way. But I think for me, success is happiness. And I get a lot of personal joy with helping others achieve what they would like to achieve, whatever that is. And so that's why I probably like working in this industry, helping clients or advertisers. But I also get a lot of satisfaction with helping my team grow and see them succeed. What is your favorite app on your phone? My favorite app, boy, that's a tough one. I'm trying to think what I use a lot. I listen to a lot of podcasts. So that podcast app, I, I listen to a lot. So I'd say the podcast or YouTube nice. stuff. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a learner. I love any downtime. I've got the headphones in and I'm trying to learn something. Yeah. Um, washing the dishes, you know, mowing the lawn, whatever. I'm, I just love learning and absorbing. So, so yeah, a podcast app probably. Yeah. That's awesome. What's a skill you believe everyone should have? I think the art of communicating verbally and in the written form has been lost over time. And my belief is that if you really want to excel in your career or in life, so it doesn't have to be career oriented, 
you need to learn the art of communicating. So that's a skill I think, uh, no matter who you are, it doesn't make a difference. Because if you can communicate your ideas, you can go far. You really can. So whether you are in advertising, a data scientist, or an engineer, communication, I think, is so critical. Okay. Last two questions. If you could effortlessly pick up a new skill in an instant, <laughs> what would it be? There's a reason I hired a data scientist first, and that is because I'm analytically driven, but not like them. I mean, I'm, and I'm talking a true data scientist. I'm not talking an Excel jock. Right. I'm talking a true data scientist. If I could pick up that skill, what those folks know, brilliant. They're just a pleasure to work with sometimes because they see things that I just don't see. And so I've always kind of tried to get next to them kind of a thing. <laughs> That's yeah. great. Okay. Last question here. What is one thing you would like to do this year that you have never done before? I would love, this has nothing to do with what you asked me earlier. I would love to take a ride in a P-51 Mustang, one of the premier World War II fighters. Oh, wow. I can't fly that, but I can be in the back. There's a little back seat, a little jump seat in the back they put in. Those Warbird planes uh, is just kind of a passion hobby of mine. I would love to take a ride in one. That's always been kind of a dream. They're, they're kind of gladiators in the sky at the, at the time period and would love just to feel and experience what those men did in World War II in these fighter planes. It's super, super fun. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, those were they were invaluable to the Allied victory. I know those were yeah. huge, very strategic, awesome planes. That's a, I love that answer. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Well, Michael, thank you so much for being here today. This was an exceptional conversation. I now understand why you sit on the 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 cutting edge of so many interesting industries on the consumer side, but things that are, I mean, like you said, it's easy to, to, to lose relevance. And the seat that you sit in, you've got to be ahead of the game. You got to be thinking about the future all the time, making it real. So this was incredible. I learned so much. I filled up a whole page of notes here. Thank you for being on Marketing Trends. This was excellent. Well, thank you, Jeremy, for having me. It's been super fun and much success for the show. Thank you, sir. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers, 
to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.